0: Creekside Church, you can go ahead and have a seat. Next week, does anybody know the significance of next Sunday? It's the one-year anniversary of something. Anybody know? Of us being in this building. Most of us. Of Creekside Church in this building, next week is the one-year anniversary. Yeah, that gets something, doesn't it? That gets something not just because we're in this beautiful building, but because it speaks to God's faithfulness. And um, so next week, we are going to do something special to celebrate that, so you're going to want to be here. It's going to be awesome. Good morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6 today. You can go ahead and turn there. I think uh, I relate to this story probably maybe more than any other. It's a prophet not welcome in his hometown. And... Now, granted, Jesus, in his preteen years, was teaching at the temple, and I would come to Sunday school and put my head down and go to sleep. So I can probably see where, where a lot of that, that comes from. But you can probably relate. I, I know I can relate. It's kind of that idea of familiarity breeds contempt, right? When, when you're familiar with something, it just doesn't have the same impact that maybe if it was new to you. And, and I experience this in my life all the time. You know, whether it be work and having to work for my dad, who takes me for granted, or you know, being here or being family, you know, all those things, many of us have experienced that in our lives. That idea of familiarity breeds contempt, and I think that's what we see here today in this story of Jesus returning to his hometown. Is these guys know him? They grew up with him. You know, maybe play whatever they played back in that day. Some of these people probably Jesus sat on their lap. They fed him or wiped his nose or whatever else. They knew Jesus as a little child. And so if you have the Bible, your Bible, go ahead and turn Mark 6. Here's the story. Starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? And then he even and that he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they all took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his honor, in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out to two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals and and not an extra tunic. Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They were out. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Back to verse 1 here it says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown. Here's where this is taking place. This is taking place in the town of Nazareth. That's where Jesus was raised in this little place. And, And if you would study it and see what historians say about this little town of Nazareth, most all would agree that it's kind of. Almost like a little hick town. Is anybody from small town Iowa in here? That, yeah, explains a lot. Okay, so <laughs> we, we see that, you know, in kind of the, you know, the small town, you know, the backwoods type deal. Nazareth really is that type of town. Okay, many believe that Nazareth was probably no larger than 2,000. And most even at that probably believe it was no larger than 500. So it was really a small community. And that's why many people knew Jesus, right? They grew up with this guy. And growing up with him, you're like, you know, not this guy, right? He couldn't teach like this. He couldn't do this type of thing. I remember I had a relative one time. I love bashing on my family. Uh, I had a relative one time, and I told him, you know, I, I'm thinking about I'm going to get into youth ministry. And he's like, what? Why would you do that? Said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, my brother's doing it. He goes, yeah, but Chad is special. So I understood what it's growing you know, up, growing like, where everybody kind of knows you. All right, everybody kind of, you know, they've grown up with you, they've seen you, and then probably shocked by some things, and maybe you've done in your past or whatever else. But really, that familiarity breeds contempt. And so we're here in Nazareth, this small little podunk town, and it's probably even why if you go to John chapter 1, you're going to see in John chapter 1 that uh, Nathaniel, as Philip goes and gets Nathaniel, Nathaniel encounters Jesus, and he's kind of blown away by a little bit. Because here is Jesus who's from Nazareth. And Nathanael's response, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? That little podunk, hick town. And also you would discover if you studied a little more on this is that Nazareth is not mentioned. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Apocrypha. There's no mention of the town of Nazareth. So probably a little bit why he's confused as well. Nazareth really doesn't come on the scene until the New Testament. So that's where we are in Nazareth. And Jesus has been here before. You go back to Luke chapter 4, and he's teaching in Nazareth. And they are so furious by what's taking place, by his teaching, that they literally run him out of town to the cliff. And they are ready to push Jesus off the cliff because of his teaching, because of what he's telling them. They are so mad, so offended at him that they're trying to do this. You also look back in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. Mark 3, 21 says this, that his brothers came to get him because they thought he was out of his mind. Right? His family, his friends, his hometown. Nobody thinks, no, surely not not Jesus, because they know him. I know what it's like probably for these brothers, right? You've got your mother who's telling you your older brother walks on water your whole life. It's probably a difficult thing to hear time and time again. They just can't grasp it. They can't hang on to this, right? Right? This is what's taking place here in Nazareth. So when Jesus left there, he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And here's the key. And many who heard him were amazed. We want to look as we go through this portion here in Mark chapter 6. There's four responses that I see. Four responses. And I think they're responses that people still have towards Jesus today. The first one, we see it right here that they are amazed at his teaching. It isn't a lot of the world, when you take some of the stories of Jesus, and some, some of the stories of Jesus, people are amazed. Yeah, I love Jesus as a teacher. I love what he says about this. Yeah, you know, take care of, of those in need. Yes, I love the teaching of Jesus. But as you dig deeper, get more into the word, and begin to discover more words of Jesus, you're, you're like the disciples, like that large following you had, that you know, Jesus starts talking, and many left him. See, as you, you just can't take the things you like of Jesus, can you? Because if we just took the things you like of Jesus, it, you know, it would be easy. Oh, yeah, do this, do that. I'm okay with that. And they're amazed at his teaching. And I think that's the first thing. We're going to see a couple more things. We're going to see, one, that they are amazed. Two, we're going to see another reaction, and that one of being offended. We're going to see another reaction of unbelief. And then my favorite portion is you get into verse 7, you see the reaction of what a disciple looks like. And we've been talking a lot here on Sunday morning and also Wednesday night. You know, what, what is a disciple? What does a disciple do, right? A disciple of Jesus. So that's what we're going to see. So the first one we see is they are amazed. End of verse 2 there. And many who heard him were amazed. Listen to their words. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him that he, or we'll stop there. Where does this man get these things, and where does this wisdom come from? They're amazed, right? They're not questioning his teaching. They listened to Jesus, and many were amazed at his teaching. Wow, this guy can, this guy can preach. He's a good teacher. I'm listening to his words. His words are impacting me. We see that. They are amazed at his teaching. We see two things within this first point of being amazed. One, his teaching should astonish us, shouldn't it? As you read through the scriptures and you see the teachings of Jesus, and they should astonish us. They, they should amaze us as we read who Jesus was what he has done and what he wants from our lives. It's astonishing teaching. Understand this, Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. You see crowds, thousands of people, thousands of people just following him wherever he'd go. He was that type of teacher. His teaching astonished and amazed people. We also see that his miracles should captivate us. And they do these guys right here. Listen to this. Where does this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him? And he says this, and, even, and he even does miracles. They're not questioning his teaching. They know Jesus. They're not questioning his teaching. And they're not even questioning his miracles. If you read where we've been so far in Mark, here's what he's done so far. Mark chapter 1, he he starts, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals many more in Capernaum. There's a leprous man he's healed. There's a paralyzed man he's healed. He calmed the storm, right? Calmed the storm and the waves. The demon-possessed man on the other side, multiple demons, legion. He heals him. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. The woman who has this internal bleeding, been bleeding her whole life, comes to Jesus and she's healed. Right? We're only in chapter 6. Has Jesus done quite a bit right now? He has. They are amazed at his teaching. They have heard and seen some miracles. They're astonished. They're amazed at these things. But even though they believe in his teaching, and even though they believe that he's a miracle worker, this still does not lead them to faith. That's the problem, isn't it? You can see Jesus' teaching, you can read about his miracles, or in this case, you can see his miracles firsthand, but it still does not lead them to faith. And we can talk about miracles. I'm not going to get into all of that, but, but here's the issue. The message doesn't have to accompany miracles, right? His message, yes, did, did miracles accompany it? They absolutely did. But the message can exist without them. And here he comes, they, they love his teaching, they love his miracles, but they reject the most important part of it. That's the message. And we want to be careful that we don't reject the very message that he's trying to betray us. The message. Familiarity breeds contempt. Listen to this. Here's their response. Yes, they love his teaching, they love his miracles, but here's, here's what they say. Isn't this the carpenter? Right? Jesus, a mere carpenter, right? isn't this mary's son and the brother of james joseph judas and simon here they are isn't this the carpenter isn't this mary's son and that's almost like a little jab because back in those days very patriarchal society you would say hey son of joseph right you read through the scripture they're always son of this son of this son of that right it's more of a jab at jesus kind of the scandalous birth that they thought he was born into but here they said, Isn't this a carpenter? Here's his brothers and sisters. Who is this guy? Familiarity breeds contempt. They know him, they've seen him. Surely not this guy. Surely not Jesus. I think it's kind of important to note we see his brothers and his sisters. You read it in Mark chapter 3. They think he's out of his mind. But I think it's also important that we see that by the end, James and Jude, authors of books in the new testament james a major leader a major player in the early church in jerusalem and i think that's important because these guys grew up with him yes they think at this point that jesus is out of his mind but at some point they realize you know what this guy is who he says he is this guy is the son of god this guy is the savior of the world because we see his brothers yeah they begin to follow him they begin to worship him as christ and I don't know about you you've got siblings. I know neither one of my siblings I would ever worship, right? So they obviously see something about Jesus. Having grown up with him, having been with him, eventually they realize who he is. So they are amazed. The second thing we see is they are offended. Aren't his sisters here with us? And then listen to this last portion of verse 3. And they took offense at him. The Greek word there. Is scandaliza, which literally means scandalous. This is a scandal. Offended scandal. They are so infuriated. It's not just like, oh, he offends us. Let's. They are. It's a. It's a scandalous event that's taking place. They want to turn from him. They want to get get rid of him. Get away from him. It's this large scandal that's taking place. It literally means they were outraged and turned away in disgust. And we mentioned it. This is Jesus provokes this in people doesn't he i mean we, we want to take this picture of jesus the things that we like we see in scripture as teaching we want to say yeah you know what look at this loving caring guy long flowing beautiful hair you know he's awesome we love him but then you begin to read and Jesus' teachings cut at the heart they are offensive they are hard to deal with much of the world this is a problem Right? They, they'll take the things they love. We, we, we make Jesus out to be kind of like, anybody watched Mr. Rogers growing up? right? That's what we make Jesus out to be, this really nice guy with a smile on his face all the time, welcome to his neighborhood. Well, nobody'd murder Mr. Rogers, would they? That's insane. But nobody would worship him as well. And so we've created this image, or much, much of the world's created this image of Jesus as this really nice guy. But as you read and you study Scripture, he's... He's a lot more than that. Jesus' words, his teaching, who he is, is offensive because it cuts at our heart. It causes us to want to change who we are. When we really study scripture, when we really begin to know and understand who Jesus is and his words, they cut at our heart. They make us realize that we should live differently. We should do things different than what we did before because of Jesus. It's scandalous. It's offensive. These guys are offended. And I think they're offended because what Jesus does is he obviously is teaching cuts at our heart, but it also, Jesus wants to rule. And that's the key here. We live in a culture today, and many cultures have been like this, very individualistic, right? We want to achieve this. We We want our record to show this. We want to do all these great things. Well, what Jesus wants is he wants to be ruler of our life. All our achievement to be in him. There's some cultures which are very family oriented, right? Family oriented, family first, family everything. What's Jesus say? Hey, if you don't hate your mother and brother, you can't love me. You can't be my disciple. No, not talking literally, but he's he's speaking of in comparison to, right? That you would love me so much more than that. And this is key, because Jesus offends. He violates the ruling authority in our life whether it be family, whether it be self, whether it be work, whatever it is, when Jesus speaks and you read the words of Jesus, he contradicts who rules our life. And this is why Jesus offends. I think he also offends because the gospel is is really easy, isn't it? Isn't it it crazy to think the gospel is simply believing in a man that died 2,000 years ago? How simple is that? That Now, if I would believe in this man who died 2,000 years ago for me, for my sin, for my wrongdoing, then just like that, I can go from lost to found, dead, alive, hell, heaven, like that. And that offends people, especially in a culture in which we live that thinks we need to achieve everything, right? We need to work, we need to do this, we need to accomplish this. The gospel is offensive because it's easy. It's simple. It's offensive because people can't understand how somebody who could have murdered, somebody who was a criminal, can like that be rescued, be saved, have an eternity secure in heaven. The gospel offensive. The problem is, if you try to do what much of the world does and our society does, take the things you love of Jesus and get rid of the offensiveness of Jesus, what do you have? you, You don't have a personal Jesus. You don't have a personal relationship. I, I don't know if you've been in a relationship before, if you're married, have friends, have parents, kids. Do everything. Does everything go smoothly in those relationships? Right? In the course of the last 15 minutes, I've taken a shot at my mom and my dad here. My wife's not in here today. Not everything goes well. Not everything goes smooth. I've been married for for. I gotta do the math on that. I'm glad she's not in here. 13 years. I've been married for 13 years, almost. 12 years. I've been almost married for 12 years. 2002, not one. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad she's not in here. There's conflict, isn't there? There's contradiction in real relationships. There's conflict. There's contradiction to what's going on. That that is real. That happens in real relationships. Those people that I I am closest to in my life, I've had conflict with. Do do people agree with that? Have you had conflict with people that you're close to? It happens. Real relationship, there is conflict and contradiction. And what people want to do is they want to take Jesus, and they want to have a Jesus that doesn't offend them, that there is no conflict with that there is no contradiction with. That's not the real Jesus, is it? See, the real Jesus, there is conflict. There is contradiction. Because I know the things I'm doing and the way in which I live my life is contradictory to what Jesus says and how Jesus says I should live my life and the things that I should be doing. Real relationship, there is conflict and there is contradiction. People are offended because the gospel is so ordinary, it's so easy, all I have to do is believe. This man who died 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, to the cross, finished work on the cross on my behalf. Easy, and that gospel, the ordinariness of the gospel itself offends people, because you're not saved by your performance, you're not saved by your record, but you're saved by the record and the performance of Jesus. It's offensive because it's just way too easy. There's a story in 2nd Kings chapter 5. It's a story of Naaman. And Naaman is a great warrior. He's a great leader. He's the great general of Syria. All right. And he's kind of the king's right hand man. Okay, King Second King, Kings chapter five. Here's this story. Great story. I encourage you to read it. The story, Naaman, he's got it all together, right? He's got money, he's got fame, he's got power, he's got position within the government, but he's got a problem. He's got leprosy, and he wants to be healed. And he hears that if he goes to Israel, he could be healed. He could be healed if he goes to Israel. So he goes to the king. He says, king, I want to be healed. Send me. Send me to Israel. And so the king does exactly that. Sends him with money, people, army, whole bit. And Naaman heads to Israel. And in Israel, he encounters a guy by the name of Elisha. You know the prophet Elisha, you've heard the stories about Elisha. Well, in Israel, Elisha tells him something. He says, you know what? You want to be healed? Here's what you do. Go down to the river, wash seven times, and you'll be healed. You know what Naaman does? He's ticked. He's mad. He leaves angry. His, his servants go and get him and says, Naaman, if he told you to do some great deed, wouldn't you have done it? See, what what was Naaman's issue? Naaman goes as this great warrior, this guy who's accomplished a lot. He doesn't want some ordinary, easy way. He's he's thinking, you know, I'm going to have to go slay this great beast, or I'm going to go have to defeat this army. I'm going to have to do this great deed to be healed. But Elisha tells him, it's simple. It's so easy. Go down to the river, wash seven times. It's great to read the story because eventually he does that. He's healed. But his response was much Like much of the world would respond. It can't be that easy. That's all I have to do? No, not like that. But I'm this great person. I've done these great deeds. But it's so easy. And the easiness and the simplicity of the gospel is offensive to people. Because unlike any other religion, man, we got to do this. we got to do this. And to accomplish this, there has to be this list of deeds and things we've done. But with the gospel, it's ordinary, it's easy, it's simple to believe in Jesus. Simply believe, and you could be healed, like Naaman was in the river. You could be forgiven. You could be saved. Easy, simple, scandalous. The next thing we see is unbelief. Verses 4 through 6, here's what it said. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, now I have this, this on my mirror at home, only in his hometown among his relatives and his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. I do Jesus ever returned to Nazareth from this point. And it could be what's leading up in verse 7 is that as he goes here, He kicks the dirt off his sandals, as he tells his disciples to do in verse 7, where the gospel has been rejected, move on. And so maybe he's setting an example right there. But the question as we look at this, how could the power of God be limited by humans? Because it says right there, he could not do any miracles except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And so I don't want us to read that and kind of glance over and say, oh, his power is limited, and here's God, and his power is limited. I think it's, it's better understood as this. The answer to it is he could not because he would not. He could not because he would not. If you read in Matthew 13, 58, it's the parallel passage to this. I think it gives us a better explanation. It says, and he didn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. He could not because he would not. Could he have? He absolutely could have but he did not. I think our our challenge, like these guys, their unbelief is that familiarity breeds contempt. I think the challenge for us, some of us who have followed Jesus for for many years, is that that familiarity breeds contempt. We become, it just becomes second nature. Have you been like that? I I have in my life before. It just becomes second nature, That Jesus, what he taught, what he said, ultimately what he did for me on the cross, it becomes second nature to me. It doesn't impact me and influence me and amaze me like it did before. And I think the challenge for us, even reading through this small section, is to be reminded of his teaching, to be amazed as they were by his teaching, and be amazed by his miracles and what he had done, and respond accordingly. Reaction of amazement. We've seen it, the reaction of being offended, the reaction right here of their unbelief, their familiarity with him, breeding contempt. The last thing I want to leave you with, and I'm going to roll through this really quick, is the reaction he gives the disciples and the response we see of a disciple. We've seen people who respond, amazement, yet don't follow. We've seen people respond that they see the gospel, they encounter the gospel, and they are offended. We've seen people who know Jesus, raised, raised up and, and spent their life with Jesus, and they don't believe. But I love what he, what he tells his disciples, and I love the response of his disciples in verses 7 through 13. Now, I think it's important to know. it almost seems like this little portion doesn't fit right here, but I think it does. Because in the first part of chapter 6, we see Jesus being rejected, right, by his hometown, being rejected by his own people. At the end of chapter 6, where Nick is going to take us next week, we see John the Baptist being rejected. And right here in this section, we see the disciples being rejected. And I think for us, not only do we see the disciples being rejected, we see a picture of what a disciple, someone who responds properly to Jesus, should look like. And as we walk away, I think we've got some great points for us to, talk, to take away here. A few things to notice. One... Even with the popularity of Jesus, even with Jesus being so popular, thousands of people following him, he didn't let them come to him, he went out to them. And he trained his disciples to do the same. For us, do we want people to come in, right? Do we want to fill the seats so they can hear the message of Jesus? Absolutely. But we are commissioned by Jesus himself. We've been given authority by Jesus himself to go out. The Great Commission is us going out. Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus is us going out. To our cities, to our communities, to our schools, to our jobs, to our family. We are commissioned to go out. To go tell people of this great thing that God has done through his son Jesus. This is what we are to be about. This is our mission statement at Creekside. It is our great commission that Jesus gives us right here, to go out. Next thing we see is that they went out in twos. I don't think there are to be any lone rangers. As we seek to be a disciple of Jesus, there are no lone rangers. God has created us for community. And within community, there is growth, there is challenge, there is encouragement. There is encouragement. Community is a must. We fail if we don't have community. And so I think there's real purpose in why Jesus didn't send them out, you go here, you go here, you go here. We need each other. God has designed the church. God has designed us as individuals like that. The third thing we see is to live simply and associate with those who do. I'm not telling you what you should or shouldn't own in here, but I think there are some great principles about how we should live our lives. Here, he's telling them, hey, take what you need, go on. Now, this was a special little mission for them, but I think there's some great principles for us. Live simply. Radical faith requires dependence on God. And I think we can pull that from this section, is that he wanted them to rely on him, that he would provide. Live simply. Radical faith and dependence. We see even in here, and there's a a section that I kind of enjoyed reading. One of the things I... I love about speaking is you get to go in and dive into these sections. Well, in Matthew and Luke, the same account of this, Jesus tells them, don't take your staff. And here in Mark, he tells them, take your staff. And so many people who try to to tear apart the Bible will pull up sections like this. See, here in Matthew and Luke, same account, he tells them, don't take your staff. But here he says, take your staff. And I, I love it as you begin to dig deeper. Because as you see in the original text, what he's telling them in Mark is take your shepherd's staff. What he's telling them not to take in Matthew and Luke is the shepherd's club. Okay, And there's a big difference between the two. See, the staff, they used to lead, to guide, to be on their hike. But the club was to fend off animals, to fend off robbers, whatever it is, people, animals. It was used for defense. And what Jesus, I think, is telling them this is a gospel of peace. And as Jesus teaches later, you know, turn your cheek. And Jesus wants to share and for them to share this message out of love, out of selflessness, not out of self-defense, not out of anger, not out of war, not out of rage, but out of love. And not to retaliate. And it speaks volumes. I, I think one of the, the coolest stories of this And many of you know the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. That Jim was taking a plane to the Wadanis. This was a group that was very violent. New war, not afraid to fight. They're going to take their message. They're going to go down there. They're going to take their plane. Well, one thing you need to understand is they had guns. Okay? They had the weapons to defend themselves. And Elizabeth Elliot asked Jim Elliot, says, Okay, if this group... Who is dangerous, who wants to fight, wants war, if they attack you, are you going to use weapons to defend yourself? And quickly respond, No, we're not. So, well, you know, why not? And he simply said, Because we are ready for heaven and they are not. Isn't that powerful? We are ready for heaven and they are not. And if you know the story of what happened, Jim Elliot and those guys that went down there were martyred. They were murdered. They were killed. But as their Elizabeth Elliot and others went back down and reached, led this, this people group, this dangerous people group, to know the loving power of Jesus. And you want to talk about experiencing forgiveness. These guys murdered husband. And yet, because there was no retaliation, lives, souls which would have otherwise not been in heaven, wouldn't have not known the rescuing power of Jesus, experienced salvation, experienced forgiveness, experienced the saving power of Jesus. So a disciple, one who goes out with all that we got, whatever he's given us, but we preach a gospel of peace. We preach a gospel of love. This is who Jesus is, isn't it? I think the last thing we see, and what I want to leave you with, is as a disciple, you will experience rejection. Jesus is rejected in the first part of chapter 6. John the Baptist ultimately, end of chapter 6, rejected. Our lesson here for us in this middle section in chapter 6 is that we will be rejected. If you have pursued Jesus, if you have wanted and desired to be a disciple, you have experienced rejection. If you have not experienced rejection, we have to ask ourselves, am I a disciple? Am I doing the things that Jesus has called me to? Because a disciple experiences rejection. But I think the great thing for us, disciples of Jesus is that we can take heart, because Jesus was rejected. He was rejected here in chapter 6, but ultimately rejected by man, wasn't he? Isaiah 53 tells us he was despised and rejected by men. And as one who seeks to go after Jesus, to listen to his commission, listen to his calling, and be a disciple of Jesus, we know there will be rejection, but we take heart because Jesus himself was rejected. And as we finish up and we look to take the bread and the juice and remember this man that died 2,000 years ago so that I may live, that I may be saved, that I may be rescued, we want to think about his rejection. I'm going to read you Isaiah chapter 53, a few verses here. And I want us to think and dwell on Jesus as we continue to worship and think about this thing that he has done for us. Listen to this in Isaiah 53. said, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Let me read that last portion again. The punishment, talking about the cross now, that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this story. This story, seeing reactions of people who were amazed, yet still offended, yet still unbelief. God, help us to look at this and be amazed by your teaching. Be amazed by what you have done. Be amazed by the cross. God, as we look at our lives and we encounter you, we know there's conflict and contradiction because the things we do and the way in which we live are not your ways. And you want to be king and ruler of our life. May we allow you to come in and be king and ruler. And God, as, as we seek to be a disciple and we face rejection, may remember your son, Jesus, ultimately rejected. Ultimately, or even rejected by you as he went to the cross. Because all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing, all of our pain and our shame poured upon him on that cross despise, rejected, yet by his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. that's what we want to remember this morning, his wounds by which we are healed. It's in his name we pray, amen. If you're here this morning and maybe the gospel is new to you, I would encourage you not not to be like Naaman, who the answer was so simple, so simple, and yet he he walked away. May may you realize what Jesus has done, that this man 2,000 years ago went to the cross, bore my sin, my shame, all of that upon himself, and how simple this gospel is, that like that, all I need to do is believe. Believe, respond. Well, Naaman eventually responded he went and he was healed. And he went away praising the name of God. And for us that have been healed, for us that have new life in Jesus, may we leave here praising the name of God. May we go out as disciples are called to go out and share this news of how a lost and a hurting and dying world may also know this healing, this forgiveness, this salvation, Through Jesus alone. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus, rejected by man. To the cross he went, bore our sin, our shame, man of sorrows. What a name. God, may we leave here and worship him, follow him, be disciples of him, and seek to lead others to him. We pray this, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.